You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes. You're listening to an Ono Media Podcast. Good morning, and thanks for joining me for Rise in Crime, your morning caffeine hit all about crime. I'm Mama Jules, and here we go again with another update in the spinning carnival ride that is the Chad and Lori Daybell case. So let's start with Lori Vallow Daybell. We'll get to Chad in a minute. I thought it would be a bit before I gave you any kind of an update on Lori Vallow, but her transfer to Maricopa County in Arizona happened much sooner than most people expected, and it also happened quite secretly. Okay, remember, Idaho Colt mom, Lori Vallow, was found guilty this summer of first-degree murder of her two children, seven-year-old JJ and 16-year-old Tylee Ryan. She was also found guilty of conspiracy to commit murder for her two children and for her new husband, Chad Daybell's wife, Tammy Daybell. You guys, it's always such a mouthful to retell this story, but I'll remind you, and here's the timeline. Tammy Daybell died in her bed in the home that Chad and Tammy Daybell shared in September of 2019. That death was initially ruled natural causes. Then in October of that year, Lori and allegedly Chad and Lori's brother Alex killed JJ and Tylee. But no one knew about the deaths because the two kids were not reported missing by JJ's grandmother and grandfather until weeks later. Now, during those weeks, the recently widowed Chad and Lori were married on a beach in Hawaii. Lori was eventually arrested in Hawaii for not complying with the authorities when she did not produce the whereabouts of the children. She was then jailed in Rexburg, Idaho, and Chad went back to the home he shared with Tammy. Then, in June of 2020, authorities issued a search warrant for Chad's home, and the remains of JJ and Tylee were found buried in the backyard. Chad was arrested and charged with the murders of the two children, and then later also charged with the murder of his wife, Tammy, after investigators exhumed her body and did additional testing to verify her cause of death. Now, he's remained incarcerated since, and his trial for those charges will occur in April of next year. 
Okay, that is just a brief retelling. It is always just so much when we go through this story. All right, so let's get to Lori. So Lori was in prison for life in Pocatello, Idaho, and she's appealed her conviction as expected. But this is just half the story because she's now in Arizona. She's not in Idaho anymore. We have to back up to January of 2019 before Tammy was murdered, before JJ and Tylee were murdered, before Lori and Chad even got married, because Lori's husband, Charles Vallow, was murdered in July of that year, and there were some bizarre activities that led up to that shooting. Police in Arizona were first introduced to Lori and Charles in early 2019 when the marriage had hit a low point. And to be quite honest, the marriage was kind of a little different to begin with. Charles was 17 years older than Lori. And when the two started dating, Charles was a devout Catholic. But after meeting Lori and her young children, Tylee and Colby, he converted to Lori's religion, which was the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or the Mormons as they're pretty much commonly known in the culture. He had changed his life for her. He quit drinking. He started caring for her children, and the two married in February of 2006. It was Lori's fourth marriage. She had divorced her third spouse in May of 2005. And Lori and Charles seemed to be incredibly happy. They even adopted Charles' grandnephew, JJ, in 2013. But in 2018, the marriage began to fail. Lori had become involved with Chad Daybell and some other religious zealots, as some of you may call them. She was prepping for the second coming of Jesus Christ, and Charles and, quite frankly, her family were seeing big changes in Lori. It all came to a head in January of 2019, when Charles returned home from a business trip, and he felt Lori had reached a dangerous point, even potentially violent. He contacted the police, asking them for help in evaluating Lori's mental competency. He said Lori had told him that he had been taken over by an evil spirit. He told police that Lori believed that Christ would come again in the summer of 2020 and that she would be an integral part in ushering in that second coming by leading 144,000 followers. Now, Gilbert, Arizona police, they did comply with Charles' request to speak with Lori, and then she gave her side of the story. She said Charles was cheating on her, and that's where the strain in the marriage was stemming from, not from her religious activities. Now, police did administer a mental health evaluation, but Lori was released, and the two were told to work on their differences. So, Charles filed for divorce, and the next few months were cantankerous between the two. But they had to continue communicating because they shared custodial rights over JJ. At some point in the spring, the two tried to briefly reconcile, and reports state that Charles felt if he could have an intervention between Lori and her religious cohorts, that maybe they could salvage the 13-year marriage. Unfortunately, Lori seemed to have other plans. Court records show that she was texting with her religious friends about how Charles was blocking her religious gifts with his evil spirit and that she needed to potentially cause harm to Charles in order to make it all end and also to allow her to continue her calling from God. 
Now, the affidavit also lines out that Lori conducted internet searches in June of that year to determine how much Social Security she might receive if Charles were to die suddenly. Then in late June, Lori caught wind that Charles was trying to stage an intervention with the help of Lori's brother, Adam. Okay, you need to keep that part straight. This is her brother, Adam, not her brother, Alex. Well, the intervention attempt, it just didn't go over well. And this seems to be the breaking point for Charles. Authorities say Charles threatened to call Chad Daybell's wife, Tammy, and reveal the relationship that Chad and Lori had developed. See, Chad and Lori were bonding over their religious beliefs that had both of them stepping out on their spouses. So this leads Lori to move to a new home in Chandler, Arizona. And Charles is finding his footing in Texas with his family while he's still bouncing around Arizona. This so that he can spend time with JJ. Now, before I explain what happened next, it's important to understand that Lori's other brother, Alex, was her like protector. He was her bouncer. He was her strong man. I don't know what you would call it. Their relationship is very unique. Well, Lori has introduced him to her new religious faction, and he has obediently followed her lead. And it's not the first time he seems to have done exactly what she told him to do. When Lori was tangled up in a violent relationship with her third husband, Alex was there to rescue her as well. He went so far as to taser Lori's third husband and threaten to kill him during an alleged altercation. So when the morning of July 11th of 2019 rolled around, and it was time for Charles to pick up JJ, it wasn't surprising that Alex was the one that Lori turned to when the situation got heated. Here's how the story goes. Lori says that Lori and Charles were fighting that morning, and JJ and Tylee were witnessing it. Tylee grabs a baseball bat to defend her mother. Charles took that bat away from Tylee. And here's where Alex comes in. Lori says Alex tried to intervene, and Charles hits Alex over the head with the bat. Now, somehow, Alex stumbles to a bedroom and retrieves a handgun. Both Alex and Lori say Charles began attacking Alex again, and that is when Alex shot Charles multiple times in the chest. Now, all of that story, it's conceivable. I could see how that kind of a domestic altercation could happen. But here is where it goes off the rails for me. Lori leaves the scene. She gathers up JJ and Tylee, who, according to Lori, were both outside. Tylee doesn't even have shoes on. She takes JJ to school, but not before getting him breakfast in a fast food drive through All while her current husband is dying on the floor of the house that she just moved into. And what's Alex doing during this time? Well, according to police documents, he waits 43 minutes before calling 911. 43 minutes. And once he calls 911, he doesn't offer any life-saving measures for Charles, even though the dispatch operator is trying to walk him through how to perform CPR. Now, when police arrive, body cam footage shows Alex dabbing at a wound on the back of his head. There's hardly any blood on the cloth that he's using to dab his head, even though he said he sustained a smack to the noggin with a baseball bat. And you need to remember something here. Charles played two years of college baseball. 
Now, granted, it was decades earlier, but the man knows how to swing a bat. Okay, back to the body cam footage. It also shows a smiling and laughing Lori chatting with officers. She's concerned about the commotion that is happening and how it's all going to look to her new neighbors. All the while, Tylee is standing there. Charles is dead, a few feet away in the house, and everyone's just acting like it's another weekday morning. Well, ultimately, Charles' death is ruled self-defense at first. And then one short week later, after the death, Lori realizes that Charles had taken steps to remove her as the beneficiary of his $1 million life insurance policy. Whoops, Lori, that didn't work out like you wanted it to. But investigators later uncover that when she breaks the news to Chad over text that she's not going to be getting that life insurance money, she reassures him that the Social Security benefits of $4,000 per month are still going to be paid out. All right, now we have to fast forward to all the other chaos that Lori and allegedly Chad and Alex go on to create. It's the murders of JJ, Tylee, and Tammy, the running away to Hawaii, the burying of the bodies in the backyard of the Daybell home, and then both Chad and Lori are arrested. So all of that, both Chad and Lori were awaiting trials in separate Idaho jails, and then a grand jury in 2021 indicted Lori for conspiracy to commit murder for her fourth husband, Charles. But why just Lori? Where's Alex in all of this? Well, Alex has died in December of 2019. See, while all the news was breaking about the two children missing and Lori and Chad marrying in Hawaii and hanging out there, Alex was living in Gilbert, Arizona. He had been living in a townhome nearly adjacent to Lori's in Rexburg, Idaho, just a few months earlier. But when Chad and Lori ran off together and police were anxiously searching for the kids, Alex quietly married Zulema Pastinez. Then, two and a half weeks after the wedding, Zulema's son found 51-year-old Alex lying on the floor of the bathroom, gasping for air as he was vomiting. 911 was called but Alex was pronounced dead at Banner Gateway Hospital. Now, it was later determined that he died of natural causes. The autopsy report indicates that Alex had blood clots wedged into the arteries of his lungs. And then that, coupled with high blood pressure, was ruled to be what caused his untimely death. You know, you guys just do what you want to with that one. I know a lot of people think there's no way that that's possible, but that's where it stands right now. All right. Some not critical, but interesting details about his death. I'm going to give you a few. The morning of his passing, Alex called Chad Daybell and received a priesthood blessing of health over the phone. And then here's another interesting tidbit. When he married Zulima, they hadn't really even been dating. They had casually known each other for about a year. She hadn't even met any part of his family except for Lori. Now, when Zulima was questioned by police, she told them she thought Lori wasn't married. Okay, remember, this is her sister-in-law, and Lori had just married Chad, but she's saying she knows nothing about it. And then there's another thing. During her brief questioning period with the police, she answered her cell phone. After taking the phone call, she asked for a lawyer. Now, none of this is damning, but I'd love to know who called her 
and what communications were happening. All right, we'll catch back up now because it isn't just the one charge of conspiracy to commit murder for Charles' death. A second grand jury last year indicted Lori on a separate charge of conspiring to murder Brandon Boudreaux. Okay, this is a whole separate storyline that rarely gets discussed in this case. At near the same time that authorities believe that Alex and Lori were conspiring to kill Charles, Brandon and his wife, Melanie Pulowski, were involved in a contentious divorce. Now, Melanie is the niece of Lori and Alex. Well, police believe that in October of 2019, so that's just three months after the death of Charles, that Alex attempted to shoot Brandon as he was returning from the gym and entering into his neighborhood. Police believe Alex drove in a Jeep Wrangler from Rexburg to Arizona. He then fired a single shot at Brandon and missed. And then he turned right around and drove straight back to Rexburg. That's like a 19-hour a drive, you guys. 19 hours one way, 19 hours the other way. Well, Alex had searched Brandon's address just 13 hours before the shooting. And eyewitnesses spotted the Jeep idling in front of Brandon's home. So here's how Brandon tells it. When Brandon says he returned from the gym, he saw the back window of the Jeep open up. He then saw a muzzle of a gun point at him from the open window. The fired bullet hit the front driver's side door frame of Brandon's Tesla. Then, according to documents, after leaving the neighborhood, police say Alex called Chad twice via a burner phone. Now, when the Jeep was eventually seized by police, they found gunshot residue on the rear window. And investigators believe that Lori helped plan the attempted murder and that text messages will show her culpability. Now, I hope you're following this strain of thought because you have to understand conspiracy to commit murder. She doesn't even have to be there. Lori doesn't have to be in the state. But if she's involved with these text messages and with Chad, who's organizing or potentially organizing the murder of Brandon, that's how they can prove conspiracy to commit murder. All right, there's another point of interest. Melanie, okay, that's Brandon's ex-wife, remember? Well, she lived in the same townhome complex in Rexburg that Lori and Alex lived in. She was also deeply involved in the religious whirlpool that Lori and Chad seemed to be preaching from. So this is just a web of people that is surrounded by death. So that leads us to Lori being extradited to Maricopa County on Wednesday. The county had indicated that they weren't planning on moving Lori until after her appeal in her murder conviction had been heard. But the wheels were turning without the public knowing, and the four officers were sent to Idaho to transport her. Now, originally, the four intended to fly with Lori to Arizona, but some nasty pre-winter weather made the flight questionable. So they drove nearly 18 hours to transport Lori to Arizona. And Maricopa County Sheriff Paul Penzone told KSAZ that Lori is being held in isolation as a high-security inmate at the Estrella Women's Jail in Phoenix. He said she was very sociable during the trip and that he wasn't clear if she made any statements relative to her investigation, but he called her very chatty. And you guys, that totally matches reports of her behavior during her incarceration in Idaho. 
she just seems to make friends easily with the other inmates. Now, Lori will stay in Arizona until her trial there. And one question I've seen asked repeatedly is, where will Lori spend her time in prison if she is found guilty in Arizona? Well, it's been made clear by several sources that her conviction in Idaho will take precedence over her potential conviction in Arizona. So at some point, Lori should be returning to Idaho. I've also seen the question about why not just plead guilty to the Arizona charge. I mean, you've already been found guilty for five other charges in Idaho and you're serving life without parole. Well, the answer, Lori's hoping her appeals will vacate her sentence in Idaho. So she isn't going to automatically accept a sentence in Arizona. I mean, really, what does she have to lose by going through the trial process? So we will be watching to see how her motions and hearings play out now that the process is rolling in Arizona. And one more brief update to the whole Chad and Lori Daybell saga. Judge Boyce ruled last week that the trial of Chad Daybell will be live streamed. Okay, you guys, this is completely different than Lori's trial. Judge Boyce made the ruling after several media outlets argued the motion before the judge. And then also at the same hearing, the prosecution is now asking that the trial not be moved to Ada County. See, Lori's trial was moved about five hours west into the Boise area, but now prosecutors are saying it just wasn't necessary and that they can find an impartial jury pool in Fremont County for Chad's trial. Well, obviously, the defense disagrees, and the judge will issue a ruling on this motion at a later date. Now let's head over to Los Angeles, where LA police just might have a serial killer on their radar. And as far as they can tell, he's working rapidly. On the mornings of November 26th and 27th, and then again on the 29th, a man approached a homeless person sleeping alone. Without saying anything or waking these three individuals, the killer approaches the men who were sleeping on the sidewalk or in the alley. He shoots them, and then the killer flees in a two-door vehicle. And the only connection between the murdered men are that they are experiencing homelessness. Okay, here's who they are. The first victim was 37-year-old Jose Palanos. He was shot and killed at 3 in the morning while sleeping on a discarded couch in an alley. The second man was 62-year-old Mark Diggs. Mark had pulled his shopping cart over on a sidewalk near Skid Row. He was asleep while his phone was charging when he was shot and killed at 4.55 in the morning. And the third man? was 52 years old. Police have yet to identify him. He was shot and killed at 2.30 in the morning. So there's no time connection except in the middle of the night. There's no similarity in ages. They're not in the same locations. He's just a man in a gray hoodie targeting homeless people. Now, despite having a surveillance camera still picture of the car, Police aren't going to identify the make or the model of the vehicle. They don't want to get it wrong, and they don't want to pigeonhole what people are looking for. So the car, it's dark colored. It's a two-door, kind of like a a sports-type sedan with a sunroof. And in my opinion, it seems to be a little bit nicer and newer, but it is very hard to tell. Now, in the wake of the killings, L.A. Mayor Karen Bass asked the 46,000 unhoused people in the L.A. area to avoid being alone at night. 
She encouraged them to find a shelter. And Los Angeles just opened five new winter shelters because temps are expected to drop a little bit in the upcoming winter weeks. Now, she also asked people who have a loved one or a friend who might be living on the streets to get in touch with them and inform them of the shooting so they can protect themselves. She said the news is devastating to the city and that violence does occur in the unhoused communities. A 2022 study discovered that 24% of the city's homicide victims were part of the unhoused communities, despite the homeless population only making up about 1% of the overall population. So definitely the violence is very outsized. LAPD Chief Michael Moore said a task force has been set up to help solve the murders, and he promised that the members of the task force will be working 24-7 until further notice. He then went on to also encourage those experiencing homelessness to make sure that their cell phones are charged so that they can report any suspicious activity. And now a quick update to the Ruby Frankie story. And just a reminder... Ruby is the YouTube star who made millions by documenting her family life and her, I guess you would call it tough parenting style, and her homeschooling of her six children. Her channel, called Eight Passengers, with 2.5 million subscribers, had faced harsh criticism just a couple of years ago because it seemed Ruby had celebrated the fact that she made her son sleep on the floor for months when he was being punished. There was that incident, plus many other questionable strong-arm tactics with her children. Well, she made headlines again three months ago when Ruby and her new business partner, Jody Hildebrandt, were arrested and charged with six counts of felony child abuse. This all happened after police were alerted by a neighbor of Hildebrandt's that Ruby's 12-year-old son, Russell, had been found deeply emaciated and bound with duct tape on his wrists and ankles. All right, Ruby then went on during a family court hearing to claim her son had sexually abused children in their Utah neighborhood and that he had also abused a younger sibling. Right, that's just a small update. There's much more out there. I did cover this case three months ago. So if you want to go back and kind of really hear about the YouTube channel, you can go back and access that Rise in Crime episode. Well, following the arrests, Ruby and Kevin Frankie's oldest daughter spoke out about the abuse. And she said it was about time that her mother was arrested. Well, Ruby and her business partner, Jody have remained jailed since the incident. And just to catch you up on what the two were doing together, they had launched a new YouTube channel called Connections, where they build themselves as certified mental fitness trainers. See, the pair would offer relationship and parenting advice, as well as intimacy and self-improvement counseling. Now, both the YouTube channels of Eight Passengers and Connections They've been removed from YouTube since the arrest three months ago. So lots of people upon the arrest three months ago asked the question, where was Kevin? Well, last week, Kevin's lawyer said Kevin has filed for divorce from Ruby. His lawyer says the couple had been secretly separated for more than 15 months. The secret separation all started when Jody moved into the couple's Springville, Utah home 
to act as a counselor and a go-between for the struggling marriage. Jody had moved Kevin to one side of the family home and Ruby was living on the other side of the family home and neither spouse could communicate with the other unless Jody was present. Now, the new living arrangement, it only lasted a couple of weeks and Kevin just left the family home. And it was during this time, a little more than a year ago, after Kevin had left, that police were called to the Frankie home when a neighbor had reported that Ruby had left her minor children home alone for days while she was off traveling with Jody. Well, police visited the home and they could see the children were well, so they just kind of left the situation alone. Now, the divorce documents are private in Utah, but as of now, a divorce attorney is not listed for Ruby, who, like I said, is still jailed and being held without bail. Kevin's lawyer has responded to criticism by Ruby's sisters, who say Kevin should have intervened and helped the children. And I'm guessing most of you feel the same, but his lawyer said Kevin admits he was out of the loop and that he had not had contact with his children for several months. And then he went on to say, that Kevin is now interested in rebuilding his relationships with his children, and he doesn't want to point fingers trying to find the failures in the situation. So I'll just keep letting you guys know how this case is proceeding. It's basically on hold right now because Ruby and Jody's next hearings have yet to be scheduled. Well, that's your Monday episode of Rise and Crime. I hope you guys are enjoying your holiday season. And a quick request please hit the download or subscribe button. That helps this podcast and all of Oh No Media grow and expand, which I'll give you guys a little hint. You might see some extras coming to the collection soon. Join me again on Thursday for more morning crime news. I'm Mama Jules, and keep safe out there.